Just absolutely horrific images coming out of Maui where a uh, wildfire is just running rampant. Uh, Just as I was updating the amount of fatalities online during the Fox News update, um, the, the, the death rate ticked up even more. At least 36 dead now. Uh, in what is normally paradise, um, at least that many injured burn units all over Maui. They're overwhelmed. Uh, people are fleeing into the ocean to get rid uh, to to get away from the wildfires. Not sure what the plan of action is after that, but I, I would think that if you're in that type of a desperate situation, your first uh, your your first instinct is survival, and then you'll figure out the rest later. Um, I guess if there's any good news, it seems like the the winds from that uh, hurricane that uh, hundreds, maybe thousands of miles away that were spreading the wildfires um, seems to be dying down. But, uh, man, I mean, you you would not even recognize these pictures on TV as as Hawaii. So uh, hopefully they're able to um, get that under control and. The people who are in the burn units can heal and uh, Maui can start recovering. Um, Just a a note, I I heard that the deadline for veterans uh, who have been affected by burn pits uh, has been extended for them to uh, apply for benefits. The deadline was yesterday, but if you file an intent to file by the end of uh, business today, you can still start the process of getting those benefits if you have um, become sick uh, or incapacitated um, by the effects of burn pits. Go to va.gov slash pact. Uh, X, the company formerly known as Twitter, I think I'm going to keep calling it Twitter because X is too confusing, but they're being held in contempt of court by a federal judge for delayed compliance with a search warrant issued by special counsel Jack Smith for data and records related to former President Trump's Twitter account. Now, X or Twitter ultimately complied three days after a court-ordered deadline while it tried to litigate objections to a non-disclosure agreement that was served at the same time as the warrant. X was fined $350,000 for not complying, pardon me, by the deadline. And on top of that, the the New York Times, they obtained a memo from a lawyer who was a a Trump ally, and uh, it was some kind of convoluted plan to mess with election results um it made my brain hurt to be honest um so uh i would say just listen to matthew schneider on uh jr morning at six fifteen to sort that mess out a suspect shot and killed by fbi agents early wednesday in provo utah was believed to be connected to alleged threats against president biden president is slated to spend the night in utah spencer joseph of fox tv affiliate KSTU has more from Salt Lake City. We have some breaking news to bring you. Fox 13 has just learned that the man shot and killed by FBI agents this morning in Provo was allegedly connected to threats against President Joe Biden, as well as New York County District Attorney Alvin Bragg and many other officials. Now, the FBI say that they were attempting to serve a search warrant Uh, in Provo when they shot Craig Robertson. We've been able to obtain the documents surrounding this that contain very violent Facebook posts showing uh, many weapons as well as targeting threats against the president and other top-ranking Democrat officials. Investigation uh, Investigators say that last March, Robertson, he also claimed he was heading to New York to kill New York County District Attorney Alvin Bragg, who is overseeing the criminal investigation and former President Donald Trump of that alleged hush money he paid to Stormy Daniels. 
25 year, I'm sorry, 24 year old Jalen Brazier has been ordered to stand trial for the murder of a 17 year old cousin, Zion Foster. After two days of testimony in the Detroit courtroom yesterday, Brazier, he was the last person seen with Foster when she went missing in January of 2022. Uh, he told authorities that she stopped breathing while the two were smoking marijuana together and that he panicked and disposed of her body in a dumpster after originally telling investigators that he had not seen her lately. Uh, the prosecution, they called a doctor to the stand yesterday who said that Foster had no conditions that would make it likely she would die of what Brazzer claimed to be a marijuana overdose. Uh, Foster's body remains missing. If you remember last summer, there was that huge search of that landfill out in Lenox Township. Um, Brazzer, he is due in court uh, August 16th is his next court date. Large-scale data breach may have compromised the personal information of a large number of people in the MSU community. Third-party service provider uh, providers, the National Student Clearinghouse, and the Teachers Insurance and Annuity Association of America, they were compromised by the Move It data breach, which was a large, which well still is a large-scale hacking operation by a group called CLOP. Uh, they exploited a security flaw in the Move It file transfer. Uh, officials say that CLOP does not contact uh, the the people or organizations it is hacked directly. Instead, they post a blackmail list on the dark web where they tell victims to contact them directly. Uh, I I guess that would mean people would have to be on the dark web to find out. Uh, The Move It data breach that has affected over 30 million people already and over 500 entities, including federal and state agencies, as well as uh, financial service organizations. Uh, some good news. An American nurse and her daughter are now free nearly two weeks after they were kidnapped by armed men in Haiti. Here's Fox's Nate Foy. The State Department confirmed that American nurse Alex Dorsonville and her young daughter are both three after 13 days in captivity. Now, there were reports the kidnappers demanded a million-dollar ransom payment. It's unclear if they received that. She lived in Port-au-Prince with her husband and worked as a nurse at a nonprofit group that he founded called Elroy Haiti, and that's the organization that announced her release today. They wrote in part, quote, it is with a heart of gratitude and immense joy that we at Elroy Haiti confirm the safe release of our staff member and friend, Alex Dorsonville, and her child who were held hostage. Today we are praising God for answered prayer. The U.S. has kept uh, Haiti at a level four do not travel advisory uh, since the two were kidnapped. According to a U.N. report that was released last month, Authorities registered over 1,000 kidnappings between January and June, and murders and kidnappings are up for the fifth straight year. Pass-through metal detectors have been installed at all the main entrances of the Capitol building in Lansing, as well as the Heritage Hall Visitor Center, and will be tested before being officially implemented later on this month. The Capitol Commission approved a weapons ban back in July after armed anti-COVID protesters entered the Capitol building back in 2020. Uh, People entering the Capitol building will be able to do so without emptying their pockets, but backpacks and laptops, they'll be expected at a second uh, security check, kind of like the airport where they make you open up your laptop bag. Um, The ban does not extend to the Capitol grounds. People can apply for special permits to carry inside the Capitol uh, for demonstrations or rallies. I also believe that law enforcement are allowed to carry inside the Capitol as well. Well, another former Tiger pitcher is lighting the world on fire. Less than two weeks after being traded to the Phillies, Michael Lorenzen threw a 124-pitch, five-strikeout no-hitter against the Washington Nationals. Here's how it sounded on NBC Sports in Philadelphia. Michael Lorenzen was traded from the Tigers to the Phillies at the Major League trading deadline 
Wednesday, he pitched at home for Philadelphia for the first time since the trade, facing the Washington Nationals. And he did this. The 3-2 pitch. Swung on, popped up, shallow center field. Rojas sprinting it, he's under it. He has space, makes the catch, and Michael Lorenzen has thrown the 14th no-hitter in Philadelphia Phillies history. Last night's no-hitter was Lorenzen's second start with his new team. Uh, Last week he went eight innings and went over the Marlins. Uh, Last night's no-hitter was the fourth no-hitter of the season, including the Tigers' combined no-no back on July 8th. Personally, I can't wait to watch all these former Tigers light it up in the playoffs. It's first thing with Mike Parsons on JR. Oxford parents voiced their anger and frustration Tuesday night at an Oxford school board meeting. After a report came out that school district attorneys advised six employees who are facing lawsuits in connection with the 2021 shooting to not cooperate with an outside investigation that was being conducted by Guidepost Solutions. Lori Bourgeau, Village of Oxford Council member and Oxford School's parents, parent, talks with Guy Gordon and Lloyd Jackson on JR Morning. 21 months, 616 days today. That's how long... The victims' families in this community have been waiting for answers. You guys are sitting up there selling our community down the river, letting an attorney that you pay the bill to tell you how to run this school. Will you stick it to every victim, the ones that died, the ones that lived, our families? The Oxford superintendent and the Board of Education getting an earful from parents at a previously scheduled board meeting, but it came on the heels of revelations within the pages of the Detroit News that their independent investigation uh, that was contracted for by the board was stonewalled by the board's own attorneys who were representing them in civil lawsuits. Mara McDonald reporting on behalf of WDIV Local 4 there, saying that the frustration level in that room surpassed what she called a 10 on the scale. Lori Burgo has really been our touchstone throughout this tragedy at Oxford High School. She is the mother of two Oxford High School, now graduates, also an Oxford graduate herself, very active in the community. Lori, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Just give us a sense of that frustration when you learned that this independent investigation that you hope would yield the, the answers to questions that have been nagging that community for 21 months was thwarted by people hired by the Board of Education. I I would like to say I was surprised, um, but I was not. I mean, there was um, this constant roller coaster this board's been sending us through, um, and and the the law firms um, giving us the hope of of things like an investigation, and then instantly coming through with um, telling everybody not to not to cooperate and. Even more disappointed in in those that listened, in the staff that listened and and did not cooperate. We had um, some people who were there in the last minutes of kids' breaths, and uh, they first spoke to the kids' parents during the court case this past week. I mean, that is sad and disappointing, frustrating. Lori, I know uh, the community was supposed to get uh, an update from Guidepost Solutions about their report that actually is not going to be out until the school year begins, but did you guys get any type of preview of what's going to be in that report? Um, Guidepost has been 
making it known that they've had difficulties along the way. Um, they've been checking in, and there have been some board members who have been requesting updates along the way from them as well. So the community's been aware that um, it's been a difficult road and, and that the investigation hasn't gone the way that most of us had hoped. When there were civil lawsuits filed against the district and against specific employees, though, wasn't there an awareness and an acknowledgement that it may undermine the independent investigation? Because, uh, like it or not, the minute that somebody files a civil lawsuit, it's an adversarial situation, and you have to protect those interests as well. So do you blame the board and the superintendent, or do you blame just the system that ended up working against this this, this information-gathering effort? You know, I have to blame the board because they are responsible for the safety of children, of our minors, of our community. And whether there's lawsuits or not, this community and the people bringing those lawsuits forward, they didn't want to do it. There were long delays for many of those lawsuits. And the reason was they were waiting to see the board take responsibility. In fact, I know multiple parents who brought lawsuits, who told me exactly that. They waited and they wrestled with that decision, and they only did it because it became clear that our children were not at the – they weren't of concern. It was the business that was of concern. Yeah, there, there was certainly a um... – for, it's, it's an indelicate term, but a CYA strategy, uh, frankly, that I think it w- w- ended up being the higher priority than mm-hmm. transparency. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, one of the board members uh, last night, Lori, uh, asked, you know, the folks at Guidepost, did they feel that the lawyers for the board were the sole reason for the delay in the investigation? And the Guidepost Solutions official said that he wouldn't say the sole reason, but he would say that they – contributed to the delay in the investigation. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that is the sense that the community has been getting as well. It, 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 people may not have been coming, some people may not have been coming forward loudly from the beginning, but the rumbles have been here and the community sure. has been aware. So just give us a sense of what are the unanswered questions, those nagging questions that uh, for a variety of reasons, the information has just not been forthcoming. You know, it, it really comes down to are our kids safe? Do our kids feel safe? And are our teachers safe? And we don't know. We don't know if enough has been done. There have been changes, but has it been enough? And when you won't acknowledge what went wrong, how can you acknowledge that you did enough? Well, exactly. If if you can't see where the system failed, how can you fix the system? Lori, thank you so much. I feel like every time we talk to you, we're reopening old wounds, but it's so important for us to understand this. And uh, we don't know what that guy Post Solutions report will bring when it's finally released, but we hope it brings the, some of the information and some of the answers that you so desperately need. Thank you. appreciate your time. And we appreciate yours, Lori Burgo, uh, who is a Village of Oxford council member, in addition to being an Oxford mom. The Michigan Unemployment Insurance Agency estimated that over a three-day period late last month, they blocked more than 10,000 false filings.
UIA director Julia Dale, she tells the Detroit Free Press that the claims were made using personal information that was stolen from Michigan residents to create multiple claims in other states, uh, but they were able to flag uh, these false claims with the help of anti-fraud software in a national database. The Office of the Attorney uh, Auditor General, I'm sorry, estimated that the UIA paid out over $10.9 billion in invalid unemployment assistance since March of 2020, and over 158 people have been arrested in connection to unemployment fraud. Uh, good news for both of Metro Detroit's mortgage giants. They uh, posted large profits in the second quarter after two straight quarters of loss. United Wholesale Mortgage out in uh, Oakland County, they reported on Wednesday that it had a record-setting quarter for loan volume and total net income at $228.8 million, while Rocket Mortgage had their big earnings report last week showing that they generated $139 million in net income on more than $1.2 billion in revenue. A busy spring home buying season is one of the main contributors uh, credited for the bounce back. Uh, when we come back, you, uh, of course, have seen the video. You've heard the audio of Sean Fain ripping up Stellantis's initial uh, negotiation offer. Uh, how effective is that as a tactic? We'll find out. UAW President Sean Fain took to Facebook Live earlier this week to throw Stellantis's initial contract proposal in the trash. Merrick Masters, business professor and labor expert at Wayne State University, Talks with Kevin and Tom about where he sees negotiations going from here on All Talk. So, you know, negotiations are underway right now between the, the union and the automakers, UAW and Stellantis. Uh, so Stellantis makes an offer. <laughs> and the new UAW president, Sean Fain, uh, dramatically rejects the contract proposal. In the uh, garbage d- with d- you. D- does it publicly, <laughs> uh, emphasizing the sacrifices that the UAW members have made during covid the disparity that exists within the company and he's not going to stand for it uh so he makes a public display once again of what's happening uh back and forth wise with these negotiations between him you know the uaw and the automaker stellantis sean fain trash talking negotiator <laughs> uh he, he should get into the nba uh so throw <laughs> throw around some of this trash talk i don't yeah i don't know if it's a good idea or a bad idea to trash trash uh, the the people who ultimately are uh the bosses of the workers and yep. ultimately are in control but uh this is the this is the strategy uh and he is uh Look, he, he's all in. He is all in. Yeah, he's targeting everybody, and he says uh, the their uh, their profits are obscene, and uh, and he plans to get so, some money. See, for, we wanted we want them as folks. well. Yeah, exactly. Really, really interesting. Uh, Joining us now is American Masters business professor and labor expert at Wayne State University. Good morning. How are you? Very well. Thanks for having me this morning. I appreciate you being here. Uh, is this? Uh, Something that is just uh, his particular personality, or are we in a time where it allows for somebody like this to to really go after the companies? Well, I think it's partly his personality that showed during that Facebook Live session and the previous one that he had on August the 1st. Um, But I also think it's reflecting a new philosophy that he brings to the table and that is to be more responsive to the workers. And, and it's important to remember that he barely won the election by an eyelash and that he knows he's going to face competition in the next round. And he has to deliver in this particular bargain. 
And so therefore, he's going to do what he can to appeal to his base and attempt to try and listen to their views as much as possible and echo them in these contract negotiations. And I think because of the scandal that has occurred in the UAW trying to re-image itself as a transparent union, he's going to be more inclined to negotiate um, in real time in the media. And that's a new reality, and I think the companies are going to have to adapt to it. You know, um, Donald Trump, when he first came on the scene, uh, was 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 popular because he talked like a lot of people talked. I think Sean Fain might talk like a lot of the workers talk. Uh, and maybe maybe the company isn't used to that. But maybe that's something that the workers want the company to hear. Well, I think that's true. Um, but I offer a little quick story um, about the danger of that. There is a big difference between. Um, as Lyndon Johnson used to say, telling somebody where to go, and we can all guess where that place is, <laughs> and making them go there. Uh, and sometimes we get inclined and we get um, uh, emotional and passionate and we want to tell people where to go, but that isn't the same as making them go there. And I think that they have to realize that structurally there are limits to their power vis-a-vis these companies. And I just saw an estimate today, somebody notified me that they've done calculations that these costs, uh, if they adopted the union's demands, would add anywhere from, um, would bring the costs up to perhaps even $150 an hour. Per worker. Wow. And, you know, I've seen estimates of close to um, $100, but this is a new reality. Um, and so I, these are not something that the companies could anywhere nearly concede to. If they did, the managers would be fired for violating their fiduciary responsibilities. That's nearly double the cost when you look at the foreign automakers in the United States. So so what is he trying to do here then? That's if it, triple. That would be triple. That would be triple. All right. So the 100 would be maybe double, and then 150 would be triple what the foreign automakers are doing. Sean Fain has got to recognize, I'm sure deep down, that that's not realistic. What is he trying to do here then? Is just is just a negotiating tactic? Well, I think it's partly a negotiating tactic. I think it's also, and this is, um, you know, to his credit, I think he's trying to change the narrative and the discussion in the sense that, you know, wages in the United States have been so stagnant for so long, and we've gotten used to accepting paltry increases our wage freezes across all kinds of occupations and industries with an anemic uh, growth rate in the economy that we are just uh, willing to settle for a lot less. And when you look back at the situation in 1945, 1946, right after World War II, workers demanded a 30% increase. Uh, they've historically demanded a lot more, um, and we've been in this concessionary era. And so I think what he's trying to do is say, you know, we should get off this uh, philosophy that when we go to the bargaining table, that the company should come to us and say, we're looking for you to make cutbacks or to be restrained and constrained in what you ask for. And we know that companies, when they are in tight situations, are not constrained in what they ask for. They ask for more. And the executive asks for more, obviously, in terms, if you look at their pay packages. So um, they're trying to rectify that situation from their point of view. 
but they have to know that they're not going to get everything or else they're really smoking something that I can't uh, label publicly. <laughs> but um, I, I think that um, they, it, part of their thinking has to be that going to electrification, they realize that the future profitabilities in, of the companies are not as likely to be as flush as they have been in the recent past. And that, um, Therefore, they want to get as much in wage increases as they possibly can, knowing that a lot of these uh, internal combustion engine jobs are going to vanish and that um, it's uncertain now how they're going to protect people in the transition. That's exactly, I think, what Sean Fain is doing. He's smart to do it. That's his leverage, looking at last year's profits, $15.2 billion. Uh, It's already more than half that for the first half of 2023. But going forward, it, Sean Fain has a leverage when you look back a year, even this year. But does Stellantis have the leverage saying that that might have been the case in the past, but this is a new generation now. Next year we're projecting this, which is not as great as you saw last. I mean, it, where, where do they have their leverage in this negotiation? Well, I, I, think, I think their leverage is just the sheer cost of financing the technology. You know, if you look at Stellantis, it calls itself a mobility technology company. It doesn't call itself a car-making company. And so it has to invest a lot in technology, not only for electrification, but for other modes of um, mobility, such as autonomous vehicles uh, that are the wave of the future. And therefore, I think these companies have real demands on them for research and development, capital investments to retool or to develop through joint ventures or whatever mechanism, new production facilities, and therefore, they don't have the luxury of, of just sitting on these profits and saying, it's nice to have all of them. These things that have to be plowed back into real investments that are enable them to sustain themselves. Does either side care what the public perception is that maybe uh, they may look greedy? Well, I think from... Uh, that depends on who they're listening to. They come at the world from different viewpoints. And I think it's important to remember, and this clash may not have been as evident in recent negotiations as you see now, in which they have different views of profits and sharing profits and uh, the role of labor as a factor of production. And I think they need to be reconciled to some extent. But um, ultimately, it's going to amount to the survivability of the companies, the ability of them to sustain jobs, because wages won't matter if there are no jobs. Exactly. And right. If, and if, that... you look at, if you look at in 2001, there were 408,000 workers employed by the Detroit Three. We're going to have to, no, unfortunately, leave it there, uh, but we we appreciate we're at, we're out of time here. American Masters, so appreciate your insight on this. Very insightful. Thanks so much from Wayne State University. I want to hear what he was talking about uh, that people might be smoking. Oh, well, you can listen to that podcast on thegreatvoice.com. Um, more good news, at least uh, when, when it comes to uh, predicting the success of Michigan's football team. Uh, this coming season, they were ranked uh, number two in the preseason college football coaches poll uh, earlier this week. And yesterday we find out that both Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards are on the Doak Walker award list for the top running backs in college football. Uh, Corum, who, if you remember, he was in Heisman contention before he got injured last season. He went on to win the Big Ten running back of the year anyway. 
Uh, finished with 1,463 yards and 18 touchdowns, while Donovan Edwards rushed for another seven touchdowns, and he was only eight yards shy of a 1,000-yard season himself. Of course, the list will be trimmed down to 10 finalists in November. Right now it's at 75. Um, but Corm is also on the preseason Maxwell Award Watch list, which uh, that's an award for the college football's most outstanding player that's not the Heisman. And I got to say, I'm pleasantly surprised Donovan Edwards is sticking around. I thought that uh, maybe Blake Corum was going to move on to the NFL. He didn't want to risk another season of, of being injured, but he came back. I thought, okay, if Blake Corum comes back, Donovan Edwards would probably have his pick in the transfer portal. And uh, they're both back, and it's going to be a, a hell of a year for Big Ten defenses. It's first thing with Mike Parsons on WJR. And we are just minutes away from JR Morning with Guy Gordon and Lloyd Jackson. They're uh, wrapping up their Pure Michigan Ag Tour. And uh, they are inching closer and closer to the Fisher Building. (laughs) They're not quite there yet. Gentlemen, where do we find you this morning? We are at Barson's Greenhouse in the beautiful city of Westland. Beautiful. And and this is, I got to tell you, we we talk about, we've been talking about agritourism this is obviously is a is a retail outlet. Yes, but this is one that you would make a travel destination for because of the selection that you've got. Oh here. my God, you got to see the selection in here. I'm telling you, I wish I, I wish you could see through the radio. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we've got a, it's uh, haven't seen the sunrise yet. Pretty hard to beat the view we had yesterday oh. up in Grand Traverse. Oh man, you can't uh, beat but it. I, I will tell you that this is the best smelling location <laughs> we've had. Oh. Along, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a little less uh, fertilization than uh, th- th- than other uh, places you were at earlier this week. That's a rather personal question, Mike. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> you know, you got you got two radio guys here. There's always a lot. There's always a lot of manure. Hey now, <laughs> boom, boom. Hey, uh, so this I, a horrific story, and Lloyd, you're going to be covering this uh, later on at six forty nine. Um, but, uh, yesterday, uh, chief James white of the Detroit police department, uh, he responded to a lawsuit. A 32 year old woman who was eight months pregnant, um, was just trying to get her two kids for school, uh, ready for school. Uh, when six police officers showed up at her door to arrest her, uh, for a carjacking because of, uh, what was it? An, an, an error in the facial recognition software. Yeah, it was, it was an error and, and not just that it's. You know, once you have a picture, you have to still do the investigation. You can't just say, oh, that's a picture. Let's go get her or let's go get him. You have to do an investigation. There are other aspects that you must do before you Secondary go. confirmation. Absolutely. That and, and, and just, you know, different investigations like, hey, was this person near the area that this happened? You know, ping their phones. Were they at work? Were they even in town when this happened? You, those are investigative things that you have to do after you see the picture. You go and do that to narrow it down. It's just one tool. Yeah. And if you rely on it too heavily. So we know that in past facial recognition um, misfires, it has been a process mistake by an investigator as and, much as a software glitch. And that's what this one was as well. Well, and I mean, and this is exactly what concerned a lot of people um, who who were anti facial recognition software. Something like this happening, and I believe wasn't there a story not too long ago that, for lack of a better word, the racial uh, uh, facial recognition software was quote unquote racist because it had a harder time identifying um, 
one group of people uh, from another? Yeah, it, it was, and uh, that was talked about when they first started talking about ra- uh, racial uh, facial recognition uh, software. And but understand that Detroit is not the only um, you know department that uses it. It's been it's used all around the state of Michigan, all around the country. But around here, it's in different police departments across the state. The state police yeah. use it. It's in the airports. It's you know it's everywhere. And the technology does have a weakness. Just to confirm. Mike, um, it, the software is not a sentient being, so it can't be racist. It drives me <laughs> exactly. crazy right. when people say, the software is racist. Uh, really, have you talked to it? Did it express uh, right, but the tolerance fact that, and sensitivity? Right, but the fact of the matter is... It has I a be- weakness. Right. I believe it has a harder time distinguishing um, uh, you know, yeah. black faces from white faces. Yeah, it, it's just one of those things that, that, that in, the, in the politicization of the conversation around yes. the technology, mm-hmm. that it's there's been some some significant misrepresentation for it, using words like racist. It, it has a weakness when it comes to identifying people uh, of color. And when uh, I do the story, guys, I'm going to answer the question that was not asked at this press conference yesterday, and I couldn't believe it. Well, and they, I'm going to I'm going to let you that's, guys So that's a tease. That's the, that's the cliffhanger. That's a little cliffhanger you, you, there for you. You guys. little tease. So if <laughs> if you're planning on leaving your radio or your mobile app, do not do that because uh, six forty nine this morning, Lloyd's going to have a, uh, uh, you know, the star- story covered from all angles. I will say this though, I think that that Chief James White is is the right person in charge to kind of. Um, address these shortcomings, uh, fix these shortcomings. Uh, he really does come across to me as, um, you know, a very empathetic police chief and somebody who is um, very committed um, to to cleaning up the practice of law enforcement. Well, and more importantly, he's he's all about accountability and transparency and transparency, and that's something that has been sorely lacking in a number of uh, political appointed positions and, and things like that. That. You know, the default was to hush up, cover up, and That's right. or try to ignore. And he embraces this idea of always uh, trying to attain best practices and to do a better job. He and, does. And, um, you know, this was a situation where the city is, uh, the lawsuit was filed. He, he could have said, I'm not going to talk about it. But he came forward and said, listen. We can't comment on pending <laughs> litigation. Oh, half, how many times have we heard that? <laughs> right. yeah. yeah. So, I mean, he came forward to talk about it and say, that, yeah, it was a problem. It was a uh, investigative problem. It was a a uh, error from a person, and uh, that's going to be corrected. He's put some new uh, guidelines in, and I'll talk about that later on this morning. Terrific. Yeah, and, and it's very refreshing because, like you said, you know, he comes out and he says when mistakes were made, and and that those mistakes are are, are going to be addressed, and and he doesn't backpedal or try to make excuses. That's a good leader. That's what, that's yeah. what you call a good leader. Yeah. So uh, we got all that coming up. We have a jam-packed show um, from out at Barson's Greenhouse. It's uh, it, it's some scenic gnat sound behind you guys. You got that that fountain going, and uh, I think that's yeah. going to be very. <laughs> Which means my I've, I've got to cut my coffee intake between because uh, we we we'll, we'll be absent from the position a lot here. The yeah. Fountain going in the background. I would suggest switching to five-hour energy. We'll be back. <laughs>